everybody do them. Elementary <laughs> yeah. roads bad. We got two minutes before we can start. We got to go online. Stand around and talking awkwardly. They know any good jokes? <laughs> Not for church. If you'd like to stand tonight's service, this is kind of simply Christmas. We're just going to sing some together, hear Advent, learn a little bit about the Bible, sing more, and just come back and forth and close out with fire. As we understand uh, by your grace of the good things that you have done in your son and the wonderful gift that is him and um, thank you that we are a blessed people because of that gift which we have received and if we have not received that gift may it be that we would understand maybe for the first time and see all the significance that is in Christ Jesus and may our hearts be encouraged and filled that we would go home with full hearts and sleep as if that were true in perfect satisfaction with our God and uh, may you begin that work today may you continue that work today and thank you it's for your wonderful name we pray
make it out tonight. Hopefully we can uh, experience the same level of travelability as we depart, as we came here. Uh, so we'll trust that if God got us here, he will get us back to where we need to go. And as we gather tonight, we want to just dedicate uh, this time to him in the re-dramatizing and reading of the Christmas story. Uh, so before we begin that, let's just invite him into our living room. Would you bow with me? Father, we are grateful that as we just begin this time of remembering that, that important day of days that marks the, the way time works forwards and backwards, B.C. to A.D., that sense of someone has come to change everything that is broken and wrong about the world and broken inside of us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have come into our world to rescue us. And we want to be able to comprehend just how significant that rescue is and what it means for each of us and our families. So we invite you into uh, this place, into our hearts, into all of those spaces where people are gathering online, that as we take this time and we allow our attention to be given over to you, that you would fill that space with this story so that we can proclaim the good news. We can embody the good news and share it in our lives and in the love that we have for each other. As you have given us this gift, may we take time and value it in all of the appreciation that um, we need to offer to you and then offer it to others. And so be with us now, Father, we pray through your Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we are going to just continue on uh, with this last segment of Simply Christmas. And I really love how this thing is unfolded with uh, Matt really playing a leading role in the idea behind it and the orchestration of every part of it. Uh, it's been through his leadership and guidance. And so we've gone through all of the Advent Sundays. Uh, many of you have gone through the Advent devotionals and you've prepared yourself for this moment where we are taking everything that is built up to this experience tonight based on what we've done this past month and we're allowing it to shape our understanding of what it is that God has done for you and I. Now, if I were to sit down with my kids in a chair like that and tell the Christmas story, I would first want to tell them that there is a, there is a battle going on for who is ultimately going to be king of the world. And this battle was really heated at the time that Jesus was born. And it was believed that the king would be Caesar Augustus. And so for 30 years, everyone said that the Roman, the, the, the Roman um, uh, country is now the Roman Empire because of Caesar Augustus, who is our Lord, who is our Savior, who is our peace giver, who is the one who reigns on the throne as the Son of God. All of those things were being told to one another in the Roman Empire based on the storyline that the government said uh, you needed to share regarding who our emperor is. Now, if you're a Roman, that's great. But if you're not a Roman and you lived in a backwater country 
called Judea, and you knew that every day you got up, that you'd have to pay taxes not only to your own government, but to those guys way far away in Rome, that when you got up, there would be somebody who might beat you up because they didn't like you, or they might steal your property, or they might say something to you that was very offensive, and you could do nothing about it. You're completely and totally powerless. And it is in that kind of a setting that when Luke writes his gospel, he wants us to be able to wrap our minds around the fact that these were difficult days uh, that God's people were facing. And it wasn't the first humiliation that they had gone through. But it would seem that before the Romans, there were the Greeks, and then before the Greeks, there were the Persians, and before them, there were the, the Assyrians, and before them, there were the Babylonians, and they're quite honestly getting to a place where they're feeling like hope is something that doesn't fit or work anymore. Now, fast forward a generation, and Jesus is born he has already completed his earthly time as far as his service and ministry, his death and his burial and his resurrection, and word is getting out, and it is spreading like wildfire. And the people that are hearing it are telling other people, and they're telling other people, and it seems like a lot of confusion is starting to happen, and people are getting the story a little bit twisted, and they're not always getting all the details uh, correctly uh, told in a way that is true to God's intent. And so when Luke decided that he would take up a pen and he would start writing the story, he had a couple of things in mind, and one of them was a dear friend who was a pretty wealthy person and pretty high up in social status uh, in that Roman Empire. And there was something about this man that Luke saw that required a better answer and a better explanation for why it is the stories that we've been told about Jesus are true. And so he opens up this book called Luke with this statement, My dear Theophilus, and as he writes the story, he tells him, I have taken the appropriate amount of time, done my due diligence, I've talked to all the witnesses, I've looked at the writings that people view as credible, and I've spoke to countless eyewitnesses in investigating this story so that I can tell it to you. You see, the problem with Theophilus was he wanted to believe it so, so badly because every time he looked at what was happening in the Roman world, he said, there's something not right about the way of life that we are living. And Luke wanted to explain to him that the way of life that the Romans lived was evil. And the way that you know that something is evil is if you are choosing to live a life according to a perspective that is different than God's perspective. And he was seeing people live without God. And honestly, he was looking for a better answer. And he wasn't sure if Jesus was the better answer or not. And Luke said, let me help you out. I'm going to take some time, and I'm going to write up an account. And when you hear it, 
it's going to blow you away. Now, that is hope. That somebody somewhere along the way says, I have an answer to all of the pain and all of the suffering and all of the despair. And that answer is Jesus. And as he's telling the story, he takes a minute to set it up, and it begins like this. Let me see if I can read this correctly. Space alien stole my baby. No, that's not what it says. But maybe that's what you read whenever you went to the supermarket and you looked at the tabloids and you knew that if somebody said that, that it had to have been true, right? Well, we know that if it's in print or if it's in media or if it's being told uh, in some form that um, is visual, that's got to be true. Fact is, a lot of us are skeptical. And if you're here tonight and you're skeptical about that, I want you to know that this is a little bit deeper than just a tab tabloid headline. This is a story that is unbelievable. It's fantastic because right out of the gate, it talks about a young woman who is called by God to bear into this world a son that would be the Savior. And so we pick up in Luke chapter 26 these words. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to God, from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and try to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called, like Caesar Augustus, only better, the God of the Most High, the son of, the son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this happen because I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am your servant. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And that really is the first signpost of hope 
that God gives his people after being silent for a very long time. He shows up at the doorstep of a young lady that is completely thrown off because this doesn't seem the way that these things normally would happen if you were to imagine them. But it's like our God to just show up when we least expect it and do those things so powerfully that they could only come from him. And that is why we hope. Jesus born to set thy people free from our fears and sins release us let us find our rest in thee Israel's strength and Hope of all the earth thou art Dear desire of every nation Joy of every longing heart Rejoice, rejoice 
let's have a seat again. I don't know if Theophilus is convinced yet. The last evening he had to go to a business meeting and in the Roman Empire at that particular kind of meeting, it wasn't like we have today where we have church and then we have just everything else. According to the Romans, religion and work and money and power all went together. And so the places where Theophilus went would require him to be part of a toast to the emperor, to the gods. And sometimes it would involve the kinds of language that he was uncomfortable comfortable with. And even doing things morally and ethically that there's something inside of his very being that said, this just isn't right. But is he convinced yet? And as Luke is writing this, he knows that if people like Theophilus, who have this longing for a better world with better rules, who wonder if Jesus is the one that provides those answers, that brings a deeper and lasting satisfaction. And Luke is on a mission to convince those like Theophilus, as well as everyone else, that of the two kings, King Jesus is the better king. And so he continues to write in a way that provokes a sense of joy. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Already Luke is telling Theophilus, at the very basic part of our lives, even to go to that fundamental place of our existence, the womb, the praises are already beginning. That the baby that Elizabeth is carrying in her old age, like so many that we hear about in the story who could not have a child until God said, "Uh, you're going to have a child. And we think about Abraham, and we think about Isaac, and we think about Jacob, and we think about Um, Manoah and his wife Anna who had a son who became a prophet for God named Samuel all of them had that experience and all of them knew the joy of the Lord when God said it's time but when that child that is stirring in the womb senses that the Savior who is not completely formed in the womb of her cousin Mary, when that child in that womb becomes aware that the Savior is just right there, that child leaps for joy. And there is a theme that unfolds in the book of Luke where when people take hold of the reality and the significance of what's going on, 
they are, they are overwhelmed. And that sense of being overwhelmed creates a deep joy in the hearts of the people that connect the dots. And I hope tonight, as you hear the story, and if you have any doubts, that that will, that will be satisfied in a way, perhaps, that hasn't been before for you. And hopefully God, by his spirit, because if you'll notice, his Holy Spirit is the one that led to the conception of the child that we know as Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is the one who appeared uh, to Zechariah and who also provoked Elizabeth. And the Holy Spirit is at work in this process in ways that only God can be because these things that are happening are clearly not of our making. They are from our God. And when God shows up after being absent for so long, there is deep and profound joy.
This past year, it's been very difficult for me to know how to greet people around me. Even when I walked in today, it, it was kind of awkward because I didn't know whether to wave, whether to fist bump, whether to handshake. There's a part of me that just wanted to just bow. Because I know in some cultures, that's what they do. It's a gesture of humility and respect. But it's a weird one for us because we're not used to bowing down. We're not used to being deferential and respectful to other people. So much so that we oftentimes, I think, aren't as respectful towards God as perhaps he would hope that we would be. And in the Bible, the word humble actually is just a word that carries the freight of the day that was common whether you were a Christian or whether you were Jewish or whether you were Roman. It basically meant you had a very high regard for the God or gods that were in your world. And so that sense of just bowing down in the spirit of humility was something people understood well. And I also think that as Mary was looking at this whole thing unfolding, and feeling uh, the changes in her own body, 
and discovering that she had been overshadowed by the very God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in mysterious and powerful and profound ways. She had to be feeling that sense of awe. Now, I wish I could take my kids back to a day whenever there wasn't a radio or a television set or a computer or a data phone to a time when people, well, they had to think. And that's all they had was their thoughts. And someone like Mary and Joseph and even Zachariah and Elizabeth, their day would look like this in, in, their, in their thought bubble. They'd be thinking about their family and what was going on, their hopes and their aspirations, the daily dramas. They'd be thinking about friends who owned businesses or were employed in certain ways and whether their livelihood, livelihood was panning out under these conditions. And then they'd maybe zoom out a little bit farther to the larger political body of people that were making decisions that affected their very lives. And a person would have to take these thoughts and sort them out every day. And sometimes they would zoom all the way out to the emperor himself and wonder, is that guy going to be in power for long? Will generations who come after us have to feel the sting of their presence while they're proclaiming the glories of their empire and the hollowness of it all? And as... Luke is writing to his friend Theophilus, who's looking for a better answer to the same kind of problems that his world also has its own thought bubble, where he's thinking about his own relationships. And Theophilus could have been one of those people that said, I'm not, I'm not there yet, but now that I am financially secure, I have social status, I've made my mark. It's time to create a family and to have children and to begin to establish something that is deep and lasting and permanent, but also shape it not by all the lies that I hear every day from politicians and propagandists that are talking about the glories of the empire and the greatness of Caesar and the footprint of of our reach and how trade and everything is so wonderful and there's peace everywhere. But he knows the dark underbelly all too well. And Mary lives that dark underbelly every day. And when she zooms out, she zooms out even farther than Theophilus because she's asking the question, God, in your story, the story of my ancestors who long for the day to see your promises fulfilled. Is this that day? And then she declares in song, much in the spirit of what we just heard, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. 
He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy and he has spoke of our fathers to Abraham and to his offspring forever. When Mary thought about all the things that were going on in her world, the one thing underneath it all that kept her spirit alive was the fact that she, she knew at the very depth of her being that God would one day deliver his people. And what is so incredibly indescribable about where she's at, at that place on the timeline, is now she is solely responsible for the birth of this child who would become the king and deliverer named Jesus, that is Yeshua, our Savior. And in that sense of being overwhelmed, she had to declare what the purposes of God were and she had to align her heart and her mind with it. And then fast forward to the time when the birth pangs were kicking in. The baby is kicking her stomach from the inside out. The water is on the edge of breaking. They are having to travel because this emperor says, we need numbers to tell everybody how great we are. So everybody go to their hometown so that you can be recognized and we can tell everybody we have this many people in our empire. We are such a great empire. And I don't know that she cares so much about that other than we hope that we can ask, are we there yet? Only one more time before we see that city over the, over the ridge of the hill. And as they descend upon the city, they discover that there is no place to find accommodations except for where the farm animals hang out. And that thing inside of her, that, that hope that is the promise of God is animated by the fulfillment of the God in another part of her being, and it is all coming together, but pretty soon... It's just the earthly experience of a female giving birth is about to happen. And we read these words. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from, to Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David that is called Bethlehem because, of, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. There is a deep and profound love that God has for everyone on earth. And he has to start somewhere to begin to just broadcast that into the larger sphere of humanity. And he starts here in Bethlehem in a rural setting with a peasant woman. And then he allows the first witnesses to testify to what is happening, to be approached by angels who will declare that it is on, and of all the people to hear it, the shepherds. The thing is, when we read the Bible, we find it is richly, uh, it has a rich tapestry of shepherds in the backdrop, and one of the identifying markers of God himself is that of a shepherd over his people. But if you zoom right in, that experience that people had under God's shepherding is now the reality of a woman who is holding in her arms the very king, the very one who David was told would sit on his throne forever. And I don't know what kind of emotions were in play, but it had to be such a powerful mix of joy, of hope fulfilled, and as she looks into the eyes of this child, a sense of love that words are incapable of carrying the language of expression for. And so as we wait for the Savior during Advent, we wait knowing that it is characterized by the powerful love that God has for us, illustrated by the powerful love that a mother has for her newborn child. Jesus. 
Jesus, the greatest gift in the world, slip the snow. We step return and ran to see what the angel said would be. And in Bethlehem they found that it was true. In a manger was a boy who would bring the world great joy. So they went out telling everyone they knew. No better news was ever told. He gave us his only son to save us. The angels sang, the shepherds saw, and wise men came to bow. God knew everything we needed, and so he sent us Jesus. The greatest gift in the world is with us now. I wonder if the one thing that Theophilus didn't let on to Luke, but Luke could see it in his eyes. And that was a conflicted, troubled soul that was living in basically a lie where everyone pretended that everything was great, but he knew that it wasn't. But he also knew that it ran deeper than just the politics of the day. It was deep inside his own conflicted being, knowing what is right and not always being able to accomplish it, doing what is wrong intentionally, and then living with a conscience that was constantly nagging at him, perhaps drowning it out with alcohol occasionally, but discovering that that really wasn't the answer. There was a deep peace that he was longing for, that I think we all long for. And when Luke was writing his letter to his friend Theophilus, he knew that that conflict wasn't just happening in the heart of Theophilus, but it was pervasive. It was everywhere you went. It was something that was just understood, and occasionally it was the elephant in the room. This thing called peace, the Pax Romana, that no one seemed to really, truly have. Well, we're back in the field again, and there are shepherds, and the place is glowing brighter than 10,000 LED lights, and they're pretty overwhelmed. The Bible says... Quite honestly, they're afraid. And in that sense of fear, the angel said to them, like angels typically do, fear not. And when they did, 
they went on to explain why. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And when Luke uses the word people, usually he says the word laos, which is our people, our Jewish people. But the word that the angels use here is the word anthropos, which means nothing to us. But to the people reading this, they're like, oh, that means all of humanity. And so the shepherds are being let in on this big open secret that God is not only for the Jews, he is actually for the Jews so that he can, through the Jews, be for everyone. And he had chosen one person to fulfill that end, and we know him as Jesus. And some of us who have found that deep peace know him personally and know that the peace that we bring into the day is because he is with us. Well, the shepherds are getting ready to discover that this great joy that will be for all people will be because unto this day a Savior has been born in the city of David who is Christ the Lord, that is the Messiah. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby in swaddling clothes and lying in a feed trough, which the shepherds knew quite well how to identify. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, and just sidebar, the scripture says up until now the angels long for the unveiling of these things. They're waiting for it. And when it happened, they just burst into praise. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Well, as they did, it unfolds in a way that God says, it is, it is on, and it is subtle, but there will come a time when this one who is born in the city of David will be the true and rightful king, who will bring a peace that goes way beyond Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, but it will be the shalom for all the earth. And so in that spirit of peace and celebration, we light this final Advent uh, candle in anticipation for the moment that our Savior appears.
this is the last part of the story tonight but it really is like looking at a stained glass window being created if you've ever seen somebody go through the process of putting together something like that they have to start with the leaded pieces 
and they give the outline for how it is that it's going to take shape. And it's the job of the, of the person making the stained glass to not only carefully uh, lead all of the pieces together that will enable the glass to be held in place so that a story can be told from the picture that that glass will portray hopefully for generations to people about what's on the heart and the mind of the stained glass maker. And so what Luke is doing for his friend Theophilus is he's helping him to understand how this thing is supposed to go together because the kingdom of this king has a whole different set of rules that involve God, humble people who are willing to do whatever the Lord asks them at a moment's notice without delay and with total obedience and expectation and trust. And as he's beginning to just wrap up this part of Jesus' birth experience, showing us the backdrop of what was going on in the hearts and the minds of the people and what they believed in their stories that led up to their faith being realized in the coming of the Messiah. As he's telling this to Theophilus, I can only imagine him going back to that place and asking the shepherds, and perhaps all of them were no longer with us because it's been a generation. Perhaps there was one and some children that came along afterwards and the story that they told that that day changed everything in their lives. And it had such an effect on their family system that even the kids grew with a sense of faith and hope and trust and expectation in the Messiah because they were so close to this experience. And as Luke is going back and he's gathering these stories from the interviews that are taking place in the farms of the outlying regions of Bethlehem, he tells his friend, this is how the response of the shepherds unfolds in a way that leads them to the realization that they have now seen the Lord. And we read these words, and when they saw it, or rather, and they went up with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. See, what God does is not a private experience that's spiritual for individual people. But rather, in that moment, as weird as it sounds, shepherds coming into the recovery room after the birth of a child, they really needed those shepherds, the scripture tells us. And they really needed to hear what the shepherds had to say. Because when the shepherds told them 
the story of the angels, it just validated the things that were going on in their own hearts. Like so many things, you have an experience, and then it starts to fade, and then your belief in that experience starts to fade, and then your trust in what it's all about starts to diminish, and pretty soon you're like, well, maybe I wasn't looking at that right after all. And you can't help but wonder in the, in the struggle of walking countless miles up to a city for a ridiculous reason and then giving birth in all places uh, in, a, in a stable. How disappointing, how heartbreaking, how unfitting for the king, the king of the world, to be born into the world. And I don't know about you, but I would have been very conflicted about how God was allowing this thing to unfold. But when the shepherds said what they needed to hear, Mary took stock and she filed it away in her heart. And she said, this is what I need to keep myself going. And what the shepherds saw when the, re- when the revelation of God's Son became a reality before their eyes, they treasured that up in their hearts for generations. And the only thing that Luke can do for his friend Theophilus a generation later is say, I can show you him as well. In many, many portraits, as his story is retold for your benefit and your belief and your need for hope and the joy that you long for and the love that you desire to see happen in your life and in your relationships and in the peace of your tormented soul in these pages that you are getting ready to read, I hope you see him like they saw him and you treasure that in your heart. And then the king that you formerly respected and revered who was no king at all, who declared that he was the king of the world, who died like everybody else, would find himself some years later as far as who he was as Caesar in competition with this baby. You see, by this time, this baby had captured the imaginations of so many people that Christians were starting to pay for it. The business leaders in the community who declared Christ as their king were starting to suffer from it that people were being shut out of certain conversations because they adhered to it. The conflict was happening in a way that the Roman government, even Caesar, was starting to pay attention to this obscure little child from a backwater town who is now a threat. And threat he would be because 300 years later, the one who would, stay, who would be seated on the throne of the Roman Empire would himself be a Christian. Who is your king? 
Is he the light of the world? Is he the light of your world? Is he the good news? Is he your source of peace? Is he the place that you go to to discover what true love means? Is he the one who when you say your prayers at night and when you get up in the morning and you face your day, sets the tone with joy? Is he the one that you have placed your hope in? If you can answer that question, yes, then I would invite you to light the candle that you've been given when you came in, and if you haven't, we can get you one, and hold it as a testimony to the fact that this story that you have heard has helped you to see him as well. And you claim him and him alone as your Lord and Savior and King and give him the allegiance and the respect that a king like that doesn't demand but creates in the hearts of the people who know him.
over the planet this is going on different time zones at different times but in effect it's eternal time that we're in right now and the angels are rejoicing still the gospel has not changed and people have found all of those things that Theophilus I believe was looking for we carry that light that he longed for and our hearts and it is for us and through us that God allows this message to be known so tomorrow we're going to wake up we're going to spend time with our families but hopefully as we do we're grateful that we have a savior and we have one to celebrate I'll just close with just a little anecdote and then I'll be done I promise I was on the phone earlier with my son, Christian, who's in the Republic of Georgia. They don't celebrate Christmas until, I believe it's the 7th or 12th of January. So it's a way off. He's in an apartment with two people that don't believe. And he said, there's just something missing. I feel out of sorts. There's just a deadness. And by all accounts, there's no reason that to be the case other than it is the Spirit of God that drives this story that drives this gathering that works in our lives that brings the life and light to the world around us please don't allow the season that we're living in to take that away from you but rather be proactive with it in a way that brings it into the lives and the hearts and the relationships of people that don't have it. And if we do, then the Lord will find us faithful and obedient like his servant, Mary. Would you bow with me?
Father, as we hold this light, we pray that it is an indication of what it is that is burning in our hearts. May you use us as your church to be a signpost to the new reality of the lordship and the kingship of Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you reign on the throne, that you reign in the hearts and the minds and the lives and the families that are in this room and that are with us online. Thank you, Father, for helping us to gather, whether it is in person or whether it is before our computer screen. We are one in spirit, Lord, just like Paul was in spirit with the friends that he wasn't with physically. We know, Lord, that you span those gaps. And we thank you, Father, for making us your family. Be with our people as they go home. Protect them, Father. Pray for Brian and Surrett as they travel to California here pretty soon, that they would have your travel mercies, your blessing, and all the things we talked about tonight would just fill their lives. We thank you, Lord, for this evening. May, we, may, may you find it pleasing and acceptable as an act of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. As you go, just uh, extinguish your candles, and um, we have a bin in the back. You can just drop them in as you go. Thanks for coming out, everybody.